Welcome to the State of the Markets podcast. I'm Paul Rodriguez of thinktrading.com. I'm Tim Price of pricevaluepartners.com. And our very special guest is Peter Castle. Peter Castle, welcome to the show. Thanks, Paul. And I know Tim's there as well. Hello, Tim. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Good to meet you, Peter. So, Peter, um, I am absolutely fascinated by the area of Zen and mindfulness and all of that good stuff. But before we get onto that and how that helps people and their trading, could you tell us a bit about yourself and how you got involved in the financial markets? Yeah, this is always a difficult question, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends, I suppose. But uh... um, well, I'll start with trading. I started trading in 1995, and at the time, I had another business. I was working. I had a smash repair business. I was in partnership with another guy, and we ran a very busy and sort of quite successful medium-sized car repair business and and I got interested in trading and I traded sort of part-time for about five years from between 1995 and 2000 and I sort of after trying to do both those things together I realised that I had to make a decision to devote myself to you know one craft or the other and uh, so I decided to sell out of the, the um, car business and become a full-time trader and that was in uh, early 2000. So since then, I've traded full time. Um, and Zen came about, uh, I think, I'd, I'd always had an interest in Buddhism. And Zen came about to complement my, uh, my development, development in mindset with trading. And the more I learned about Buddhism, the more I learned about Zen in particular, the more I started to see the deep correlation between the two crafts or the two occupations, uh, and that's that's sort of how it all came about. And I, I never thought that I would go on the huge journey I did with Zen. I never thought I'd end up living in a monastery and becoming ordained as a Zen priest. That was a bit of a shock, but it was just sort of a natural progression i suppose it's like if you love something and if you love trading you do what you have to do to become successful at it and if i loved buddhism and i loved zen and i loved what it was doing for me and for others and that it just developed and they sort of developed together because i one of the great things about trading and trading for myself and having all that free time even though it was you know i mean trading is hard work and you really need to apply yourself but because I had a lot of free time or, or, or I was the master of my own time, I wasn't working for an employer, then I was able to do a lot of study with Zen. I was able to travel and live in monasteries and go on retreats and, and you know, read hundreds of books. And um, so that's that was really the, the great benefit of it, that I, I could do both things together. So your first step... I haven't read... Sorry, go on, Paul, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say very quickly that the first step away from working in the repair shop to becoming a full-time trader, that's that's quite a jump. And was, was, there a, was there a transition where you were sort of doing it on the side, making money, thinking, okay, this is something I could do? Or did you think, well, let, let me... 
I can't do both well. I'm going to have to make a decision. And then you discovered whether you could or couldn't do it once you've leapt, as it were. Yeah, I decided that I couldn't do both well. It was it was too much of a distraction. So, you know, trying to trade while running the business was very difficult. And then um, and trying to trade and 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 stay focused and 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 stay centered, you know, it just wasn't happening on either side. I was distracted in the car business and I was distracted with my trading and and I wasn't that. I was going okay with my trading. I wasn't making a lot of money. I was sort of going up and down and going sideways. And um, and I thought, well, I just need to devote more time to it, and I need to get serious about it. And I and I was lucky that I was in a in a position financially to be able to sell the car business and then take some time out and put my head down and study. And and it actually took me nearly three years to become financially stable and the first couple of years I started trading it was oh it was terrible I had a terrible time I started trading Christmas 1999 and then of course you know in in March 2000 yeah we had the, the tech the tech crash and then we had the next couple of years with all the uncertainty um about the then the, the following year there was the Twin Towers attack on the Twin Towers in New York and there was all the uncertainty in the markets and, you know, then the war in Iraq and it just, it was very, very difficult uh, market climate to make money, but probably not dissimilar to what we've had the last couple of years um, in the sense that it was just very volatile and very uncertain and not the place for a beginner. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, um, but, you know, eventually I stuck it out and, um, I, I've been doing it ever since. The question I was going to ask, because I'm afraid I haven't yet to read the book, though I'm in, in, enormously intrigued by it, so I do intend to get to it, is the the Zen approach, is is that, in a, in a quick and dirty way, is that a bit like saying go trade with the grain of the market, if you like, as opposed to sort of fighting the market? Absolutely. Yeah, there's there's no fight. Um you know, in Zen, you know, we, we, in Zen, nothing is forced or controlled. You uh, you can't develop a Zen state of mind by forcing yourself to get there. There's, it's mm. you um, you have to not want it to get it. So you're you're <laughs> yeah. sort of like riding the current of the stream, so to speak. You are. You're riding the current of the stream. But there, and there are times, aren't there? Times when the more you want something, the more you kind of push it away. And sometimes just things come to you if you don't try. And it, it, perhaps that's, is that a, a way of, of describing it? It is a way of describing it, but something I make very clear in the book is that Zen is a method, it's a system. Uh, in fact, Buddhism is a system. Um, Zen's a little bit different. I'm, I mean, Buddhism. I suppose most people, when they when they think of Buddhism, they probably think of well, it's a nice idea and it's about being kind to people, and then they probably think of the Dalai Lama, uh, and they probably think of reincarnation, and that's the majority of people think, okay, that's Buddhism, and that's true, that's what it is. Zen is a little bit different in the sense that uh, it 
Zen encourages you to not believe in anything external. They want you to focus completely on yourself and your own ability. And now that sounds a little bit uh, egotistical, and it's certainly not that. But but they want you to focus on your own ability as a person and to develop yourself as a person. And it's a little bit akin to you know, Abraham Maslow's you know philosophy of self-actualization. Um, but they want you to self-actualize by being relaxed and chilled and not forcing and controlling stuff. They're not saying don't work hard, don't have a method, don't apply yourself. You certainly need to do all those things. But it's they're wanting you to stop what we call in Zen clinging and grasping. So we, we look at people in the world and we see them hanging on to what they've got and not wanting to lose, and we see them continually grasping for the next thing and going for the next goal and shooting for the next ambitious project. And they're tying themselves up in knots, uh, worrying about what they've got or haven't got. And Zen wants you to flow with what is, and that's a very, very challenging thing to do. We, we don't grow up in that world. We're not taught to think like that. Do you have anything as crude as, say, trading rules, or is it more a, a more generalised philosophy? No, absolutely. Of course, I'm a great believer in in trading rules, and I mean, I've been coaching now for about 12 years, and I see uh, this. In my opinion, there's sort of three steps really to trading mastery, and the first step is realising that you don't have a method or a system. Most people start trading without a method. They mm. open up an account and they throw some money at the market and away they go. Um, so there's mistake number one. You need a method, you need a system, and, and preferably a very simple rules-based system. Um, there's a, so the, sorry to cut in. There's a phrase that I, I, I first came across towards probably the start of my career, as a bond salesman, it's if you don't know what your edge is, you do not have one. Yeah, it's a great saying, isn't it? Yeah. And another one is um, that I've heard is you know have a plan or become part of someone else's. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's a similar thing. So I think the first step is for many traders is realizing that they need a method and a system. And then the second huge challenge, which is what my book is mainly about is being able to stick to it and, and knowing why you can't stick to it. There's a, there's a chapter in the book that talks about a research and development group I belonged to many years ago and, you know, a group of very, very bright guys, um, computer programmers and mathematicians and successful people in their own right. And we got together and we spent many months, actually we were together for a couple of years, and develop lots of trading systems. But I noticed there was a tendency amongst all of us that we couldn't stick to anything. Um, and that was when I realised that it had nothing to do with you, our capabilities or our intelligence. It was the emotional sort of trading that was we, we were struggling with. And that's why we couldn't stick to anything. We kept chopping and changing our mind and, and, you know, we'd give something a go for a little while and then it wouldn't work immediately, so we'd change it and... So that's really interesting, and that was when I realised that this is where the emotional part of it was coming in. 
So that's the first step. You must have a system. The second step is you've got to be able to stick to it and realise how the emotions are playing out in your mind. And I think if you can do those two things, then you're well on the way. And a lot of people spend their whole trading career just doing those two things. They become a mechanical trader and and they do quite well from the markets. I think there's then a third. I think sorry, a, to cut, sorry to cut in again, Peter. Yep. Do you, can you use someone else's system or do you need to have something that ultimately becomes your own? You need to ultimately become your own. So one of the things I do with my clients is I work with them to develop something for them because I, I, I know that it, it has to be me giving them something to trade is not going to work. It's a bit like it, asking someone to trade value and then watch it go down by a certain percentage and then they'll they'll be thinking they panic out of they, it they panic out of it and you're going no no this yeah. is where this is why we do it this it's way with, and you, you double up you don't you don't you don't get out yeah yeah you like it to 100 you know love it at 50 but that that is that is because you've you've got your system and you understand it so if you applied that to say trading luna which was crashing um, which you wouldn't have in a value portfolio anyway. It's 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 where the nuances of your trading system have to be properly understood. Um, mm. th- therefore, it, value is because it's 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 solid and it has a margin of safety. Whereas you can't apply that to any system where you just buy more as it goes down fifty percent because you'll get killed in something that's going to crash to zero. So. Mm. And it also, there's a time frame element. I, I'm thinking like some people want to trade every day. Some people want to trade longer term and they don't want to be watching the market, you know, every day. It could be every week and they plan their trades over the weekend or something like that. I'm guessing that that's the sort of thing you come across, Peter. Would that be correct? That's correct. Everybody's different. I mean, having a trading method or a trading system is, is, is as unique as what everybody else is. Uh, and that's why that's what creates a market because everyone's got a different idea of what's going to happen or everyone's got a different objective and everybody's using a different method to to reach that objective and some people might be trading daily, weekly, some are monthly, some are intra- intraday. Um, it, it it all comes down to the individual and what, what trying to find something that suits you. We, we were talking about it just before we started the show that um, I, I find it fascinating that Tim has a completely unique approach in the fact that he's a value investor, looks at value, won't touch anything that's not value, but also invests in trend-following funds that are exactly the way you're, you're describing. It's a mechanical trading system that will have drawdowns, but also will make a lot of money when the market's volatile. So it creates alpha and... Uh, it also acts as a hedge. I, I, I think that's fascinating, personally. Well, it's very, it, it's it's <laughs> it's a very advanced way to trade. Um, I mean, if you can get to that level where you've got, say, three systems, and you know, one's a trend following system, and and another one's a a system, you know, based on volatility and re, and a return to the mean. And the, and the third system is a value system, and if they complement each other and they all work well together, I mean, that's that's terrific and, and that's quite an advanced level to get to. And it's what a lot of full-time traders and long-term traders in the market, you know, try to achieve because after a while they, 
they realised that just having one method um, is not going to cut it over the long term because the market is always changing. And but it's a difficult thing to do. It's um, for beginners. Um, I encourage them to just try one system for a period of time, and so they get used to that and they master that one system before they start branching out into other methods because it can get confusing and there's a temptation there. There's an emotional or psychological temptation to, um, you know, you have a, a failing trade in your short-term system and so you flip it over into your long-term system. Yeah. <laughs> Rather than take the stop, you move it over into the other system. And Yeah, that that, um, that reminds me of the old joke of, uh, you know, what what do you call a, a long-term trade? It's, it's a short-term trade that's gone wrong. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so it can get a little bit confusing so you've got to keep it simple um and having multiple systems is is an i regard as a fairly advanced technique how do you find uh, that the, tim do you, do you find it difficult to, to or are you so sort of confident with how you've set everything up that you just don't even get tempted to tinker with things no the 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 the, the, the main difficulty we have is that of because, I mean, both Killian, my, my business partner, and I are, I think, more than sold on the validity of what we're now doing at a sort of asset allocation and diversification level by incorporating commodity trading advisors or managed futures into our offering. The, the difficulty is invariably helping clients try and weather the storms through periods like this. Right, so, right, right. Uh, there's a great line. For, so I'm, I'm, most of my quotes relate to sort of the, the, value, the value side of the business, but there's a great Canadian value investor, Peter Kundal, who, who said, you know, the most important characteristic for successful value investing is patience, patience, and more patience. And in capital letters, he, he added, the majority of investors do not possess this characteristic. <laughs> mm. So this is the problem that when things go temporarily against you, um, it's, it's, I mean, most of our investment related stuff is in the equity market. So it's individual stocks. And I think the I'm going to welcome Peter's thoughts on this. I, I think probably 95% plus of investors, whether they be institutional or private client investors, treat the equity market as a bit of a casino and they spend all their time trying to trying to anticipate the future trend of share prices or the future direction of share prices that they, they own. What What is crucial for us as value players is we just want the, the underlying corporate operations to be sound, to be great and also ideally improving. So if the if the underlying operations, earnings, revenues, profits are fine, the, the direction of the share price in the near term is completely irrelevant. And indeed, we will be buying more on dips. But most people, for whatever reason, and I blame the financial media in large part for this, I think most people sort of say, well, the, the stock market's down or the, this this share is down 10%. There must be a problem with the company. But no, I mean, the market's just irrational. We know it can be irrational for quite lengthy periods of time. Tim, do you find, though, that um, with your knowledge of technical analysis that you've been able to develop some systems that complement that the, the, two, the two together? So you've got this situation where you're a value investor and you're looking at the fundamentals of companies and you only buy, you're only interested in companies that, that have great prospects and have got runs on the board, so to speak. You know, they've proven themselves that they can produce the goods. But do you combine that with some sort of technical analysis? Well, the, the closest the closest we get to that is basically, so if you imagine a Bloomberg chart, a Bloomberg screen with two lines on, the, the first line is the, 
the, the, the book value per share of a company. So the underlying net asset value, if you like, the, the inherent value of the business. And that's reported four times a year because in Anglo-Saxon markets, and, and I'm sure in the Aussie market, companies have to uh, are obligated to report their their operations every quarter. Uh, and if and if the directors meaningfully distort or misrepresent the nature of those operations, then they're going to go to jail or they deserve to go to jail. So that, that's that's data that's only available four times a year. And that's one line. And then the other line is the share price itself. And for a lot of the time, the share price is going to be above the the, the 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 book value line. But as and when it comes close to it, or ideally even trades below it, then we're definitely going to nip in and start buying aggressively. Mm. So, Peter, when, so that, I'm not was, sure if that quite quite answers your question, but that, that's how we do it. Yeah. So, so um, with regard to the subject of Zen and the trading system or trading that you were doing in the early days, I was fascinated by the fact that you learning about zen and getting yourself in the right frame of mind to trade is so is obviously so important and there's so many things that you can do to to improve your state of mind i i always think if you're going to be a trader you've you've got to actually take fitness very seriously and and you or find something that releases the stress that you get throughout the day or throughout the trading periods that you're 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 working through um, but there is a big leap to go from just being interested in Zen and techniques to actually becoming a Zen priest, which is which is what you are. That is quite a hardcore. Yeah, that that's taking it to obviously a, a completely different level. How how did that actually happen? That you went from re- perhaps reading a little bit about Zen and being interested in it and seeing how it could help you to then saying I want to become a, a Zen priest and take this all the way. It just sort of happened. Um, I was because I, I said I was interested in Buddhism and uh, particularly meditation. I, I started meditating before I became interested in trading. I started meditating when I was about thirty. I'm sixty-two now, so it's thirty-two years. Um, and I started trading at about thirty-five, age thirty-five. So when I started trading. I realised I, I knew myself well enough already that my mindset, I would have to improve my thinking and my mindset to be successful at trading. If, I, if this was going to work for me, I'd read enough books and I and I, I think I just had a knowing or an intuition that, that my thinking would be critical. And so I devoted myself to learning how to meditate. Buddhism just sort of came about and... What happened? <laughs> Life presents these things to us. I was looking for somewhere to live. I'd moved a couple of times and I'd been through a, a long-term um, relationship breakdown and I was sort of moving around from place to place and I was sort of early, mid-40s. And, and a friend of mine said, um, I went to a yoga class. And the yoga class was actually out the back of a monastery. And uh, the yoga teacher, who was a friend of mine, said to me, oh, I know you're looking for a place to live. Do you know you can rent a room next door at the, at the monastery? They're renting rooms out to anybody. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And I sort of knocked on the door. On the way out, I knocked on the door and this uh, uh, Tibetan monk answered the door and, and I said to him, I hear you're renting rooms. He said, yes, that's right. Come in and have a cup of tea. And 
And an hour later, I'd moved in. Wow. <laughs> and, and, and this guy said to me, well, we've got a room. He said, you seem suitable. I mean, he, he quizzed me. He asked me a lot of questions about myself and what I was looking for. And, and, and I thought, well, I'll give this a go for a few weeks or maybe a few months. And two years later, <laughs> I was still living there um, and they'd offered me ordination. And, but I declined it because it, it was a Tibetan um, Buddhist organisation and it, I didn't feel as if Tibetan Buddhism was for me and I decided um, to leave and it was sort of a semi-rural place and when I left, I moved straight from the monastery back into the heart of the city. I moved into Sydney City. I was only, you know, a 10-minute walk from the Sydney Opera House. Um, so I went from sort of one extreme to the other. Uh, and I didn't do anything for 12 months. I didn't practice um, uh, meditation or Buddhism or Zen or anything, and I just threw myself at the markets living in the city. But, but after 12 months of that, I decided that I really needed to um, to go back to it. And I stumbled across a Zen centre, and that was where the whole journey of Zen started, and then I started to do some travel and living so close to Asia, being in Sydney, Australia, I was able to fly up to Vietnam and Thailand and Taiwan and Japan and do study and do retreats and stay in monasteries and it just became a way of life for me and I was offered ordination again uh, with a Zen order and this time I accepted. And does that mean that you... Uh, being uh, ordinated, does that mean that you can then teach somebody else and and then uh, ordinate them, or or is it just an a, an acknowledgement of the journey that you've been through? Like I have being ordained as a Zen priest, it it gives me you know full clerical religious clerical power, for want of a better word. <laughs> I suppose. Um, so I do actually run a small um, Zen centre here on the Central Coast, uh, and then that's what I do in my when I'm not working. That's what I do. I I teach meditation and and have regular practitioners, and um, that's the other part of my life. We should actually mention where you are. You're in Sydney, Australia, right? I'm in Sydney, Australia. Yeah, yeah. very nice place. Beautiful actually the best balance of the kind of city and the the beach that i've ever seen so one, yeah. one, wonderful in place in terms of in terms of covid madness how how insane has sydney become <laughs> well thankfully it settled down a lot um it it went a bit crazy there for a while uh, but um it has settled down my my partner's a clinical psychologist and um we found out just today that the mandates um, for clinical psychologists have been dropped because she chose not to vaccinate, and which meant that she couldn't work, um, couldn't see clients face to face. She had to move her all her work online. Um, so she's thrilled, as are many. Um, I have many friends in the in the psychological um, pre- um, profession. Zen seems yep. to attract a lot of. <laughs> A lot of psychologists and doctors and teachers and therapists. Um, so they're all thrilled that they can now go back to work. And so it's it's great that I think it's it's great that some of the mandates are being dropped. I bet she's got her work cut out for her now. She must be 
so busy with so many people who've been affected by it. Yeah, it's been um, it's been pretty extreme, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, uh, it's. I was I was personally really disappointed with the way um, it was managed and the way it was handled. I. Um, you know, there's a lot of it. Everyone's got an idea, and it's a very controversial and very touchy topic. And um, you know, it's it's people get easily offended. It, I, it was very difficult to stay on the sidelines and and stay um, uh, keep an open perspective because people. I noticed that most people found it very difficult to keep an open perspective. It was impossible to have. Uh, sensible, rational, and calm decisions with most people. Most people would get very emotional and very upset and take a side very quickly. And, and I, you know, as a Zen practitioner, that was something I, I observed and I was disappointed with. And and the other thing I noticed was um, that unfortunately our leaders, I didn't think, did a very good job. I think they all needed a lesson in Zen, in in, in how to manage themselves and behave and and make um, some clear rational. Uh, open decisions. I thought it was very. Some of the decisions that were being made were very close-minded and very questionable. Yeah. Um, well, one question that we've asked all, pretty much all of our guests over the last eighteen months is: um, Have we just experienced a gigantic cock-up or a conspiracy or some combination of the two? Do you have a, a view on that? <laughs> this is a. I, I did actually listen to a couple of your podcasts before I came on this one, and I did notice. <laughs> with a bit of a passion with yours, um, and that's fine. Um, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, um, and my theory, everyone's got their theory, um, you know, my theory is that that humans, uh, we, 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 live in, we live in an age of anxiety, and I think that it was, I think it was a cock-up. I, I think it wasn't managed very well. Uh, I, I think that they, um, the powers that be panicked. Um, they didn't manage it very well. We, we already had a, um, a, a system that, that, that existed that people had great faith in uh, the medical profession. I think the medical profession that almost had reached almost godlike status Um and I, I think that's what happened. I just think, don't think it was managed very well. Um, so that's how I looked at it. Uh, it was a perfect example, I think, of human behaviour and how people panic and, and they grasp at a solution. That's what I saw it was happening. People just grasped at, at a solution and the, and the vaccine was the silver bullet um, and that was, the, that was the decision that they made and that was the path that went down and um, they weren't prepared to listen to any other um, possibilities. It was a very close-minded um, response, in my opinion. To get thank you to get back onto the, the the Zen Buddhism aspect of things, if should should someone be trading if they're not comfortable with their if they haven't got their mind right at a given point. One of the reasons I ask is because when I was in a dealing room environment, I, not that I ever traded, I was a salesman, but it, it always struck me that there were times when the idea that people should be plonked in front of the Bloomberg screen and basically obligated to have a view on everything all the time seems completely ludicrous. That basically, if you've not got the right kind of attitude, you're unhappy for whatever reason, you should just be on the golf course instead. 
and then come back when you're when you're feeling better. Can can so you be at odds with the market? Can you be at odds with the market? Well, I don't think you can be. Um, I, I think that there's nothing wrong with with having a view of what the markets may be doing, uh, but you certainly can't be attached to that view. Um, and I'll talk about this in the book, and I'll give the example of somebody who might be bullish on gold and they think gold's going to go up and 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 they're so convinced that that's going to happen that they position themselves accordingly and take advantage of a rising bull market or a rising gold market and then when it doesn't happen, you know, they double down or they, um, you know, they increase their position size or they won't sell, um, they won't change because they're convinced, they're absolutely convinced that that's what's going to happen um, I, I, I don't think you can be that rigid, I, I, particularly as a trader, perhaps as a value investor, that's different. Um, but as a trader, I, I think you need to be less rigid and more flexible and know when you're when you're wrong and then change change your position, either sell or, or reverse. You know, I, I just don't think you can stick, stick it out because you'll turn yourself broke if you do that. I think that's where the definition of trader and investor crosses over because an investor may may be looking at the long term, whereas a trader, I mean, a trader could be looking at the long term, but a trader usually has some form of margin um, trading. So a any drawdowns in their position is something potentially that they they might have to deal with and it, it stops them being able to allocate capital to potentially another good trade. Um, but an investor, say, I, I always think of Jim Rogers and his long-term investments in things like oil and gold. And when those markets went down, he would just say he would be looking to buy more. And that's not something you could sort of trade day to day or week to week because of of the way those markets move. But if you're looking at 10-year cycles, and in his mind, these these the, the, the macro factors that will cause these products to move higher are are something that's that's turning over such a long period of time it takes that sort of investment mindset and that foresight to stay with those positions but as a trader if you were if you were sort of buying it and then you'd see it 100 points 200 points lower then buying some more you might get caught up in another 2 300 point move that then forces you out of that position and then we all know what happens next it goes straight back up um just to show that you're out of sync with the market that's right and i think that's why it's so important to know your time frame so whether you're a trader or an investor you need to know what you what your time frame is and you and you need to know what your strategy is and so that you can you can follow that strategy um how how would you define the difference between meditation and mindfulness and what techniques do you use for meditation um, day to day? Meditation is part of, I don't see meditation as the answer to everything because I know I keep mentioning the book, but in, in, in the book it describes the fundamentals of Zen, um, it's a little bit like a trading system. 
uh, you know, with a trading system, you 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 have your rules, and then you have to get those rules, and you've got to go into the market. You need to apply them. You need to try it. You actually need to do it. So it's the same with 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 meditation. You you've got to have a method or a system, and then you have to do it, and you have to do it regularly. So meditation improves your outlook and it improves your perspective and it it teaches you to have to have a more open perspective and that's that's the skill that that, that we need as try I, I think it's the skill we need as human beings uh, we we need, we need to develop a more open perspective so that we can see things uh, without judging and labeling all the time and jumping to quick conclusions um, there's a you know, calm people and, and and accomplished people, they all share a unique characteristic, and that is that there seems to be a space that exists in their mind. There seems to be a space between their thoughts. There seems to be a space between when they hear something before they say the next thing or or before they react. They seem to be, seem to be able to have all the time in the world um, before they actually do anything, that's because they've created that space in their mind, and they've they've got the ability to to stand back and look at something in a different way that other people can't. Mindfulness is a bit. I'm a little bit disappointed in 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 the mindfulness uh, word or the mindful mindfulness brigade that's gone around the world because right. I, you know, I, I think that most people that think about Buddhism and meditation immediately think of mindfulness. Uh, but mindfulness is actually just one of the things that, that, that Buddha taught, that he taught and talked about. Uh, he talked about many other things as well. Um, and mindfulness alone won't get you there. Um, you, you need the other practices. You need... You need to you need to live a pretty healthy lifestyle, and you talked about this earlier in staying fit, for example. Uh, you know, I don't know many traders, and maybe you do, you guys do, but I don't know many traders, or for that matter, many successful people that can burn the candle at both ends uh, and keep doing that, and then be successful in their job. Mm-hmm. Uh, sooner or later, they they crash or they burn out. Um, so you need to keep a balance between a healthy lifestyle, uh, a healthy attitude, and maintaining those two by meditating. You mentioned the word space, and there's a quote that I've got on my monitor from Viktor Frankl, which goes, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. Yeah. It's rather profound. And in relation to that, that again, that that flexibility, there's a, a quick quote I'm just going to shove in from um, the New Market Wizards part, except I've just written about it in this weekly commentary. And it's uh, the example of Druckenmiller in 87. Druckenmiller made the incredible, Stanley Druckenmiller made the incredible error of shifting from short to 130% long on the very day before the October 19th, 1987 crash. Yet he finished the month with a net gain. How? When he realized he was dead wrong, he liquidated his entire long position during the first hour of trading on October the 19th and actually went short. Had he been less open-minded, defending his original position when confronted with contrary evidence, or had he procrastinated to see if the market would recover, he would have suffered a tremendous loss. Instead, he actually made a small profit. The ability to accept unpleasant truths, i.e. market action or events counter to one's position, 
and respond decisively and without hesitation is the mark of a great trader. That's a perfect example, and that is Zen in a nutshell. That 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 person has a Zen state of mind, because Zen, one of the things it teaches you and it wants you to work so hard on, is to detach from your thinking. Um, there's a couple of really important things that you need to learn to be a good Zen practitioner. And one is that you, obviously you need to be able to, to observe your thinking and that's where the meditation comes in. And that's one, that's a great level to get to and I believe a lot of people in life actually never get to that level. They never get to that level where they realise they can actually step away from their thoughts and observe their own thinking. But then the next level is to not judge and label and get caught up in that thinking. And and so that that's a perfect example of somebody who was able to observe the observe the situation, observe their thinking, not get caught up in it, not judge and label it, not start don't start beating themselves up and thinking, oh my God, I'm an idiot, you know, I've got all these positions long, I'm going to lose lots of money. Um, I'm, a, I'm a hopeless fund manager, I'm a hopeless trader, what am I going to do? They've managed to get that ability in their mind where they can just observe that thinking. They don't beat themselves up. They don't judge and, judge and label the situation. They stand back and then their mind goes to the next level and that is, well, what can I do about it? What will I do? And then, that, the, and then the next decision is made, well, I'm going to reverse all my positions and go short, and that's what I'm going to do. And again, there's no, there's that complete detachment of fear. It, it's just a, a cool, calm, rational decision. It still involves risk, um, and arguably great risk. But with that level of detachment that that person was able to develop, that's that's what it's all about, and that that. Just does not apply to trading as well. That is, in every part of your life, it doesn't matter whether you're, you're, you know, you're going on a first date, or you're, or you're attempting to drive a golf ball down the fairway, or you're putting on a trade. It's that letting go of the outcome and and doing the best you can in the moment, and going with the flow and not worrying about the outcome. I always think that instinctively, people know what's right. It's just whether they will allow them themselves to believe that they're right and, and whether they will act on it. Um, so there's the, the book Thinking Fast and Slow and you have the System 1 brain and System 2. And the System 1 brain instinctively knows. So Stanley Druckermiller would have instinctively known that his position was wrong. He would have felt something. George Soros talked about it when he said it, apparently it was, well, actually it was George Soros's son who said that for all of his analysis, it was actually his bad back that made him the most money because when he had a bad position, he would unconsciously contort himself. He would get a literally a signal in his body telling him this position is wrong and then he'd get out of it. And most of what good trading is about is getting out of bad positions and, and not being stubborn, not being afraid of losses because that's what drives that makes the losses bigger. But you talk about 
these these things in in life and that that's why I love trading and, and the whole idea of trading because it does cross over into every form of our life when you start to look at it and decisions that you make and the risk against reward it could be whether you take a job whether you move to a different country or, or whatever it might be you can look at everything from a trader's perspective and I have a very good friend who's who's a, a, an excellent trader and uh, I'll share a little story about um, one day he said to me, um, <clears throat> he, he's got a Ferrari and he parked it in a, um, in a, in, in a supermarket. And when he came out, somebody keyed it. And he said to me, you know what? It was really lucky because they keyed it on the back on, on this place that meant that I only had to get one part of it sprayed rather than all the, all the way down the side of the door. And I thought, blimey, that is like, if you're ever going to have a Zen, view of something that's happened and and deal with it you know kind of uh without any emotion that was it because i think i'd be pretty furious if that had happened to me <laughs> yeah the, the way it's, he just um, looked at it as a as a positive oh, i was really lucky it was there, there i was like right okay it didn't seem like a particularly lucky thing to have happened in the first place but it was that that focus on you know, so I suppose you could say the same with a with a trading position that goes wrong. If somebody gets out and says, "Yeah, I'm lucky. I've only lost this amount of money when I could have lost mm. a lot more." Well, I mean, we all know that there are times when you'll exit a position like that, and then it will go the way you thought. And it's originally the market can do that, but it's the one time that you don't take that that loss or follow that signal that tells you that you're wrong. Those are the ones that 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 make the bulk of the losses and uh, more damaging in the long term. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that, <laughs> one of the things I learned through all my travel through Asia and when you meet people who have had very simple lives and, and they haven't had the, the upbringing that most of us have in the West is that their outlook is completely different to life. Um. And when I started to think about that and I started to talk to these people, you know, I realised it was just the way they thought about things. It wasn't really anything that unique. Um, was it a gratitude thing? There's a – not so much that – yes, there is a gratitude thing. They do, they, they do seem more happy, but they're not so fixated on – on getting things. I think that's the problem we have in the West is that we're very ambitious people and we want more. We never seem to be happy with what we've got. We're always looking for the next thing. And that comes from the way we think about what we do and what we have. So we get we have a thought. If, if it all goes back, if, if the Buddha was right and he said it was all about how you think, you know, what you think you become, one of his famous statements, that – if when we have a thought, our, our very next step along that process is to get the thought and to judge it and label it and we and we give it a name, we call it good or bad or, or, or fortunate or unfortunate or lucky or with the market, for example, it's a bad market, it's a good market, it's a volatile market, it's a crazy market. Um so we we immediately have that thought and and we seem to want to get that thought and 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 slot it into a box and 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 
contain it, and that's what it is. You know, and you know, clinical psychologists call that black and white thinking. So, you know, that's how it is, and, and it will never change, and nothing else can change it. Whereas Zen is wanting you to realise that that is just a thought and that is all it is and that it's not locked into a box. Nothing's locked in. Nothing is locked into a box. Every thought you have can be expanded in your mind and we are the ones that create all the boundaries. We create the boundaries in our mind because that's what we do we slot everything into a little box in our mind and we build a little jailhouse around it and we can't break out of it. There's an and expression, I'm, I'm trying to think of the author, it's a poet from the 19th century and he uses the phrase mind-forged manacles, which speaks perfectly to this. Yeah. People are trapped by their own thinking. And, and I've read that thinking fast and thinking slow book um, and it's very good. And and the other book that came to mind was The Body Keeps the Score. Oh, yeah. Um, I've got that to read, actually. Is, is it any good? Oh, that's excellent. That's mm. it's very it's excellent. Mm. Um, and the author talks about, I was thinking about the the story before you mentioned about, was it Soros or Soros' son who had the bad back? Well, it was Soros who had the bad back. It was Soros' son who said, for all yeah. for all the books that he'd written that um George Soros yeah. had written about reflexivity and and his analysis mm. of the markets it was his instinct his his back that was his main signal to get out mm. yeah so his body kept the score so he even though he was mentally he was observing the markets and he was thinking about the markets and he was mentally processing the markets Yet his body was the one that was telling him. Yes, exactly. So he he had a how lucky to have like a physical signal. Like it's almost like somebody tapping you, saying, "Hey, this is wrong. You got to get out." Yep. You know, as as clear as that. Whereas we don't. Yep. Most people, practically everybody else, doesn't have something like that. You just have well, your instincts. Well, we do. Or, or, well, you do have. Has, well, you, of course, you do. But yeah, what I mean is not not so that's physical. That's called a heart attack. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean something as extreme as that. I just meant like when when you've got a position and you're thinking, uh, this feels wrong. Should I get out? Should I double up? Um, of course, yeah. that's the thing about trading. When you, when you have an account, you can do whatever you want and nobody's going to tell you not unless, if you've got the money. And so... Mm. You the the freedom is also the 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 the, the it's a bit like the sea. It, you've got to treat it with respect. You can have a lot of fun, but you can also drown. And um, when something is wrong, it's listening to the, the easiest thing to do is to not listen to those signs and mm. for, for things to get worse very slowly and all quickly is is and not react and that that comes from not having a plan if you don't know what you're going to do when you go into the market um as part of my teaching i would i would um teach people about technical analysis and then we would run through some simulations of what the market does and i would say well what would you do here and how would you trade this and have a look at this charm what, what would your position be and i would have to say i would say it about a hundred times probably right where is your stop where is your stop where is your stop and i'd have to keep reminding people every single time um 
because it just wouldn't go in that they needed to think about every position with risk and where think about where you're going to get out before you get in because if you don't do that you won't be in the right mindset to get out of the position um when it when it comes there you'll make an excuse you'll say oh maybe it'll go up or maybe i should buy some more it hasn't really broken that level or or whatever that that desire to to allow it to run a bit further a bit like the the mistake that stanley druckermiller could have made um by by doing that just going oh maybe i'll just go for a walk and come back and hope it gets better um so there there was one story of uh of a trader who was um i was he was on a simulation that i was that um he was going to trade in a trading arcade i don't know if you know what that is but it's it's like this um you you trade for a firm but they they set you up with your capital and they train you to to learn how to to navigate the markets and then they start you out on a simulator and then you go off to become a real trader and we were in a uh, in a room with a few traders and i was showing them you know charts and saying how do you what do you think here what would you do where would you buy where would you sell and he was getting so frustrated because he was a poker player and he one of the guys in the room he played poker with and he just wanted to beat him and so everything this other guy said he said the opposite and he kept getting things wrong and the more he got it wrong the more angry he got the more angry he got the bigger position sizes he started taking and he got himself in such a mess and i've seen this so many times and it's really interesting exercise to watch how angry people get and how they they try to get themselves out by taking bigger positions and all the things that they do and tell themselves that are going to happen um when i'm using a simulator i know what's going to happen next and i sometimes imagine the market like that i think the market knows what's going to happen next i think there's some you might think that there's some form of um uh well if if this number does this the market will do this i think if the market is predetermined you stop thinking like that and you start just accepting what's happening um but this trader went on to get on a simulator and and the same problem happened he got so angry just at a simulator that he smashed the thing up and and i was like that is definitely somebody who should not be a trader mm. i have i have a question for both you guys is the is the hope the 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 aspiration the expectation to make money or to master the trade i would always say master the trade um because making money and the money will follow and the money yeah, will follow so if you want to be a good brain surgeon you wouldn't be thinking about how much money you're making you'd thinking be thinking about doing a good job and that that's how i see it and i think it was absolutely right what peter said at the start about about it being a profession you've got to think of it like a profession not like something you're just like dabbling in yeah or or you've heard that something is a hot market and you should get into it that's that's a recipe usually for disaster because you can't naturally be a good trader you have to learn it and it, and being extremely smart and having a degree or more than one or whatever does not guarantee any profits at all in fact it can sometimes work against you Peter, what what do you think? I think I don't agree with that. I think in the beginning it's the money. I think most people are attracted by the money. I certainly was. Um, that was my goal was to make money. 
But after some time, I realised that I had to change. I had to change goals because just having that desire to make money wasn't going to work. It, it, it comes back to something else. It, it comes back to uh, accept, accepting uh, that you you need to change. Well, this was certainly for me. I, I accepted that I had to change. I needed more discipline. I needed to change my focus. I needed to embrace the process. I needed to like to get to like the process. One of the things that, that struck me pretty early in my trading was that I realised that the market was the boss and I had to do what it told me. And that was in particular in relating to stops because I was thinking about what you were saying about putting stops in the market. And I had never, I've never liked to have been told what to do. You know, I was always a bit of a rebel as a child and as an adult and, and, and I was never one for the rules. I was never one for institutions. And and I sort of always, you know, saw myself as a bit of a free spirit and I wanted to do what I wanted to do. When I tr- started trading, I realised that I had to do what the market told me to do. And if it was telling me to get out, I had to get out. It was telling me to get in, I had to get in. And once I... Once I accepted that, that I had no control over anything that was going to happen here, uh, it became a lot easier for me. And I just expanded on that way of thinking. I just I just worked on that and thought, well, okay, no one really knows what's going to happen. I mean, we've got some great indicators and we've got great technology today and there's things that really assist the trader but ultimately, no one knows what's going to happen. COVID is just a perfect example of that. Um, and and you have to go with what's happening. You have to do what the market is telling you to do. Yeah, it's it's that um, it's that uncertainty as a trader that you become okay with. Whereas you're not taught like that at school. You're taught to, to no, there's, no, there's an not. there's an answer to everything, and if you don't know the answer, yeah. then you're wrong. But sometimes the the answer yeah. is I don't know, and that's the most honest answer, and it's the right answer. But you're not yeah. you're never taught that, and it's so part of it is our schooling. Part of it is just psychological. Yeah. Psychological. Part of it is what people bring to trading with their own baggage. You know, they, they, mm. the the mark the, the the example I gave was a perfect one about how somebody had substituted the market for wanting to beat their friend now that could be a psychological element of of um you know they might see the their their parents telling them off as uh, and and having bad experiences there and then when they come to trading they feel as though they're being pressured in that way by the market and they want to fight back against the market so it becomes personal mm-hmm. and you it cannot be personal um it's not personal it never is and and um and I also find it fascinating that there are so many books on trading and they all say pretty much the same thing at the end of the day, but in a roundabout different way. And, and um, the more you read and the more you speak to people, you realize that there are some core concepts that get strengthened every single time. And a good trading book such as yours really highlights those, those points and, and focuses on them. Um, so I, I personally really enjoyed your book. I thought it was, it was fantastic, not only for somebody who's interested in trading, but for somebody who's trying to improve their life. 
What was your in the book? Was there something that really stood out to you? Um, I, I, I it, again, I think it was it was the um, just thinking about how you personally tried to just improve yourself. It was it was the it was also the honesty of your journey. Um, where you talk about your challenges, because very often in trading books, you might get people saying how great they are and how brilliantly they've done and, and all that sort of stuff. But what I like to see, I like to hear the other side of all stories. And I, it can never be just plain sailing. So I, I like the honesty of your of the stories where you, they were challenging. And I thought that that spoke a lot. I also like the... the um, you know, there's there's a very small part of it that's actually related to how you create a trading system, like beautifully small. It doesn't have to be any big, bigger than it is. Um, but it, but that to me is is why I really like it because it, there's nothing extraneous in it. It's it's just what you need, and there was no desire to make it any more complicated. Um, so. So there are a few things. Um, I, I, Zen and mindfulness. Mindfulness is a big buzzword at the moment. Everybody's talking about mindfulness, mm-hmm. and it's it. Sometimes it's like, well, where do I start? What do I do? And and um, what is mindfulness? And and how can I apply it? And so that's why it was like, oh, this is great because this book is about mindfulness, which I'm hearing so much about, and everybody talks about. But it's mindfulness mm-hmm. and trading together. You know two of my favorite things now. So, um, uh, I mean, trading I've always loved, but, you know, it, it, mindfulness, I, I feel like I, do, I don't meditate and I should do, and I feel like I need to get better at, at, at this sort of stuff. So so that, for me, was why I liked it. It was, it was also very well written, and it's not overly long because, I, you know, I like pictures more than, than words. Uh, that's just how I, <laughs> how I am. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. It, it, just re- it, it was a real pleasure to read it. So, um so well, yeah. thanks for that, and, and it, it's great to hear because everything you said—I mean—that was the objective of the book. I, I didn't want it to be too long. Um, I wanted it to be very easy to understand, but also wanted it to be technical enough to satisfy that part of the people that were reading it. Um, I mean, trading does attack, attract very intelligent, deep-thinking people who love technical stuff, um, and so I was aware that. I wanted to put some of that side of it in there. Uh, t- teaching trading, I think, is a very difficult thing to do. Um, and also I, I think teaching Zen and teaching meditation is a very difficult thing to do. You know, I've had many Zen teachers and Buddhist teachers and attended many retreats and gone to hundreds of lectures, and, and it's rare to get somebody that can explain it really clearly and really well and, and I, I think there's a lot of cryptic explanations of what meditation and the spirituality and Buddhism is. That people go away pretty confused and scratching their head. And one of the things I didn't want to do was confuse people. I wanted to try and make it as simple um, as I possibly could. And for such a short book, it took me two years to um, to write that book, and it, and it had fourteen drafts. <laughs> wow. I mean, there's there's and, that old expression and, that I'm, I'm sure Tim was probably thinking about. It's like when the when the politician said, um, I, I've I've got a long speech here because I didn't have time to to write a short one. 
Yeah, that's great. <laughs> you, always, you always have to kill your darlings. Yeah, that's right. Um, but, get, but getting back to something you said before was about that that trader that was getting angry. Uh, um, I couldn't but help think that. I mean, to me, it's just it's an attachment to identity and it's an attachment to ego. And oh, definitely. Um, you know, it's something you need to leave behind. It's something you you can't let that enter into your trading. Um, you know, a while ago I read uh, one of Mike Belfore's books. Oh, One Good Trade. Uh, Would you recommend that? Because I've heard that recommended to me. Yes, that's a very good book as well. I would recommend that. And he talks about um, how he keeps a cupboard full of keyboards because the guys, when they get angry, they smash the keyboards. Oh, yeah, I've seen that in the daily room, yeah. And so he's got, a, he's got this spare cupboard full of keyboards yeah. that he can <laughs> That's fine. That he can, re- he can replace the keyboard at a moment's notice. <laughs> uh, I, thought that was, <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, what, I'm, what I really wanted to get across the, the message with the book was trading's a great profession. I love it. However, it's it comes with its its downside. It comes with its pitfalls. It can be incredibly mentally taxing. Uh, it, it can be very detrimental to your health. It can be very detrimental to you, to your relationships. And it, I had I went through all that. I had all those experiences. You know, my health suffered. Um, there were periods where you know I drank too much. Uh, it, it affected my relationships. I got depressed. Um, and the only way around that, and that's really common, that's very, yeah. very common with 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 traders, and it's not. It's one of those things that it's swept under the carpet and people don't talk about. But the only way to get through that is you've got to get back in touch with yourself and who you are. You've, you, you have to get back in touch with your soul and your spirit and, and work out why you're really doing this job and what are you trying to achieve. If you're just trying to, you know, prove something to yourself or your father or your mother or your brother or your best mate or, or you've, it's been, you've been conditioned by your, your schooling or your society or your university or you've been conditioned to do that, it's not going to make you happy. You have to find who you truly are, who you are yourself. And if that means being a trader, then be a trader. That's great. If it means not being a trader, if it means perhaps working as an analyst in a firm or it means working in IT or it means giving it all away and, and doing something more simple and working as a painter, or it, it, it doesn't matter. It, it's being happy is what is most important. And finding who you really are, and finding what you should be doing with yourself, and that's the power of of Zen. And I see trading actually as a vehicle. I mean, Dr. Van Tharp used to used to say that, um, you know, he saw trading as a vehicle to to enlightenment. That was his way of improving himself, and that's how I see it as well. I, I, I think that if we can take our profession and take our craft and look at it for what it can truly be, it's 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 this wonderful tool to live a, a a holistic and better life. You can become a much better person 
if if you if you really devote yourself to what's required to, to be a good trader or just to be not even a trader but an investor, it requires a certain level of thinking, uh, uh, an evolved level of thinking, and that spills over into area every area of your life, and and that's where you need to go with it, in my opinion. And that's where Zen meditation comes along, and Zen or or what you guys are doing. Yeah, this is wonderful what you guys do. Yeah, to to talk to people that have years of experience in the trade and can hopefully pass on some small wisdom to those who really need it before they get before they drive themselves crazy. Yeah, exactly. Because it's like running a marathon. Until you've run one, you don't really know what you're gonna what's gonna happen. And uh, in, in, in that experience is so worthwhile. In some ways, you mentioned it, it's extremely hard to teach people about trading because you're, you're trying to warn them of things that are that will come down the line. And it, it, it you, you can't kind of overemphasize how difficult those periods can be and how you need to prepare for them. Um, I, I, the only other thing I could describe it as is, is having children. Like people say, your life changes and you can't really... Over, you can't exaggerate that because it really does. I don't know if you have kids yourself, Peter, but um, it really does change your life in a way that is more profound than you than you'd ever expect it to be. Mm. I've never had my own children, but I've certainly been a step parent a number of times, and I'm a step parent now. Um, my partner has two teenage boys, fourteen and eighteen, um, and wow. we've certainly got. A- We've certainly got our hands full. Bet you need um, Zen on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> and that's really interesting. And that was another reason why the reason I did not ordain in that Tibetan order that I was offered to ordain in many years ago was because it was a celibate order. And oh. I and and I, and I didn't want to um, go down that path. Uh, even though I was single at the time when the offer was made, I had always um, sort of could see myself partnering up again with someone in the future. And then when I found this Zen order, um, it was interesting because it's one of the the few Buddhist orders that allows their ordained people to marry and have relationships. And so and it's it's different in the sense that we're not actually encouraged to live in a monastery. I mean some Zen priests do live in monasteries and and that's what they do. They live a very simple life in the in the monastery, and they they meditate a lot, and they they may do do um, some in volunteer work and social work. Uh, but we're actually encouraged to live life and get out there and and do all the things that, that normal, <laughs> for want of a better word, that the average person does. You know, to have relationships, to get married, to get a job, to and and to practice your Zen not in the monastery but in your life and to lead by example. That is what we're asked to do. And and I've had experienced both forms of um, ordained life. I've lived in a monastery and and I've lived outside of a monastery and I've lived in a family and I'm living in a family situation now. And I can tell you that I know which one's harder. And that's the latter. That's living in society with a partner, with kids, working, having all those responsibilities. That is the harder gig. And and that is the one where you need the Zen. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff. Great stuff. Well, um, 
Was there anything else? Tim, would it be okay to go to media picks? Uh, was there yeah, anything else you want? If Peter's, happy, if Peter's happy with that. I was going to say, if, if there was um, anything that we hadn't asked you, Peter, that you wanted to say on the show, um, obviously we'll, we'll talk about your handles at the end, but was there anything that we, we hadn't asked you that you'd like to discuss? No, I don't think so. I think everything's been been covered. Yeah. Um, well, if anything ever occurs to you, you know, you're always welcome to come back on the show. Um, yeah, I love that. Yeah. yeah, great. No, it's been a it's been a real pleasure. So, um, Tim, may may I start with you with the media picks, please? Sure. It's what I mentioned when we uh, we met up over the weekend. Uh, mine is Spiderhead, which has just uh, come out on Netflix. Um, fantastic science fiction film, very underrated on the basis of the, the scores on Metacritic. Um, I'm not going to say anything about it, except I think it's the perfect metaphor for the COVID madness. And uh, Joseph Kaczynski directed, um, who is the, Chris Hemsworth is basically sort of the, the protagonist, but it's uh, an extraordinarily atmospheric science fiction thriller. And I recommend it to anybody. Is the Spiderhead? Is the is that the the guy? Oh no, I'm thinking of somebody else. Uh, I was thinking of the guy who directed A Quiet Place. It's nothing to do with him, is it? Uh, let me just quickly check. Talk amongst yourselves for a while. <laughs> oh no, it's okay. I'll, I'll I'll find out. But yeah, so so Spiderhead on Kaczynski. On... He did Tron. Tron's the first. Ah, oh, right, right. No, so it's not the same. Okay, that that's... Tron Legacy. I don't I don't think so. No. No. Cool. Okay. Fantastic. Uh, top, top Gun Maverick, though. Yeah. What a what a what a what a what a combo for twenty twenty two. Everybody's talking about that, aren't they? I've I haven't seen it yet. I haven't. I've yet to meet anybody that hasn't raved about Top Gun Maverick. Peter, have you seen Top Top Gun Maverick? No, no, I, no I haven't seen Top Gun Maverick. Um, I've listened to a few interesting discussions about it. Um, I know that the US Navy is outside the picture theaters recruiting, <laughs> which I think is an interesting um, thing to observe. Um, no, I, don't, I haven't seen it. Um, I'll have to go and see it because everyone's talking about it. So, yeah. um, But one of my media picks that I did see recently was the latest Elvis Presley movie. Um, and I thought that was really well done. It's directed by Basil Luhrmann, and um, I think it's a great example of um, somebody who struggles to follow their own path. Uh, I think that was his eventual undoing, and that and that that uh, his internal struggle is very well um, projected in the movie. It's a very entertaining movie. Um, but it's got a very serious personal side to it as well, and I, and I really enjoyed it. Um, the other media pick I've got is if you want to read a book about, an easy book to read about, if you're interested more in Buddhism and particularly psychology, um, Jack Caulfield, who is an American author, who's a psychologist, but he's also an ex-Buddhist monk, and he's a wonderful author, and he does a great job in combining uh, Western thinking with um, uh, Buddhism. So, oh, if you ever yeah. get a chance, to, if you ever get a chance to read one of his books, I highly recommend it. I have a feeling Joe Rogan's talked about him. Actually, I've got got a memory of him saying that. So, yeah, that that's a great. Is there any particular book of his that you 
found good? Oh, no, not really. Oh, yes, I, I'd probably recommend um, – oh, I think it's called um, Doing Laundry – something to do with doing the laundry. <laughs> right. Okay, brilliant. Well, well, we'll find it and I'll put a link in the show notes, but fantastic. Yeah. Well, look, I I was uh I I think that's plenty to include this week because of course we've got your book as well and I I don't want to to add too many because I do want people to find it. So, I'm I'm yep. going to say thank you guys for for your media picks and I think that's that 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 will be that will be enough. But um Peter, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, please let us know how people can find you if they'd like to know more directly from you. Okay, sure. Thank you. Well, they can go to my website, uh, which is called Easy Share Trading Systems. They can Google my name, Peter Castle Trader, and that will come up. Or they can go to uh, the book's called The Zen Trader. Uh, and I'm on Twitter and I'm on LinkedIn. So either of those uh, is a way to find me. Um, so it's easy trading, uh, easy share trading systems dot com. I'm presuming. Was dot, it? Yeah. Dot com. Yeah. Oh, dot com. What's your, twi- what, what, what's your Twitter handle, Peter? The Zen Trader. The Zen Trader. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, I'll I'll find those again and I'll um, put those in the show notes. Um, thank you once again uh, for coming on the show and look forward to having you back and all the very best with the uh the, the, the zen and the trading great thank you thanks paul thanks tim thanks peter my pleasure take care all, all the best all the best this podcast is for entertainment purposes only please do your own research or contact a professional advisor